November 6th, Hebrews chapter 7, verses 18 through 28. Yes, the old requirement about the priesthood was set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect. And now a better hope has taken its place. And that is how we draw near to God. God took an oath that Christ would always be a priest, but He never did this for any other priest. Only to Jesus did He say, The Lord has taken an oath and will not break His vow. You are a priest forever. Because of God's oath, it is Jesus who guarantees the effectiveness of this better covenant. Another difference is that there were many priests under the old system. When one priest died, another had to take his place. But Jesus remains a priest forever. His priesthood will never end. Therefore, He is able once and forever to save everyone who comes to God through Him. He lives forever to plead with God on their behalf. He is the kind of high priest we need because He is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has now been set apart from sinners and He has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. He does not need to offer sacrifices every day like the other high priests. They did this for their own sins first, and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once and for all when He sacrificed Himself on the cross. Those who were high priests under the law of Moses were limited by human weakness. But after the law was given, God appointed His Son with an oath and His Son has been made perfect forever. This week's Bible Meditation, Galatians 6, 9 And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. The church in America today is slowly awakening from the distortion of about 350 years, namely the length of our country, of dominance, distortion of dominance, and prosperity. What I mean by dominance is that in most American history, most of American history, until recently, being a Christian has been viewed as normal, good, patriotic, culturally acceptable, even beneficial. And what I mean by prosperous is that by and large, being a Christian has generally resulted in things going well for you. And what I mean by distortion, the distortion of 350 years of dominance and prosperity is that this 350-year history of our dominance and prosperity has created a massively, deeply unbiblical mindset, namely of at-homeness in the world. So we're dominant culturally and prosperous materially, and we 
come to feel at home. It's our land, our culture. The assumption is that it will go well for us here. This is our place. It's the way we do things, the way we think about things. We are Christian here. And we very much enjoy being thought well of for that. And we expect things to go well. And poverty and sickness and suffering and death are the worst things that can happen. And there isn't anything much worse. We expect this Christian land to be wealthy, us to be wealthy, us to be healthy, ease, upbeat, success-oriented. We've developed a form of Christianity to support those expectations. Ingrained expectations. To be a Christian is to be accepted. To be a Christian is to be comfortable. To be a Christian is to be secure and to be prosperous. And that form of Christianity has focused mainly on how we feel and the needs, whether our needs are getting met. And then we, we sell this. We offer this to people. Come and life will go better for you. It, by and large, in America for 300 years, the call to be a Christian has not been the call to be an alien. By and large, it hasn't been the call to be a sojourner or an exile or to be out of step. It's the call to be a respected citizen in the community. And we get angry, really angry. Watch it. Watch it. It's still true. We're, we're only slowly awakening from this. People get angry. If you treat my Christianity as though it's not the norm, my views of things as not the norm, I get angry. You're taking away my culture. You're taking away my land, my history. I get mad at you because I've developed a Christianity with assumptions that assume dominance and prosperity and normal and fitting in. This is our way here like it goes somewhere else. There's enough truth in that to give it some traction, right? If you, if you live like a Christian, you don't get drunk every weekend. Probably you'll be more successful in life. Right? You keep your job. Your marriage will probably go better. That's yeah, true, and the Bible says don't get drunk. And so if you do what the Bible says, life goes better. The Bible says work hard. You know, if you don't work, don't eat. So if you work hard, then you're probably going to prosper in your business a little more. So be a Christian obviously brings success. It's just enough truth in this that it gets traction. The problem is it's totally out of proportion. We have come to take all those relatively minor spin-offs of devotion to Jesus and elevated them above the massive, real pleasures of knowing Him, loving Him, and dying and being with Him forever. This text fills me, it has for so many years, with a longing not to be a domesticated, comfort-seeking, entertainment-addicted, prosperity-loving, security-craving, approval-desiring Christian. I don't want to be that. 
It's abominable to me to be that. Don't want to waste my life just fitting in. So low. I want to be set free from this distortion. I want to be biblical. I want to have real, spiritual, otherworldly power on my life. I want to have stunningly countercultural, otherworldly hope driving this engine. Psalm 106, verses 1 through 12. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Who can list the glorious miracles of the Lord? Who can ever praise Him half enough? Happy are those who deal justly with others and always do what is right. Remember me too, Lord, when you show favor to your people. Come to me with your salvation. Let me share in the prosperity of your chosen ones. Let me rejoice in the joy of your people. Let me praise you with those who are your heritage. Both we and our ancestors have sinned. We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly. Our ancestors in Egypt were not impressed by the Lord's miracles. They soon forgot His many acts of kindness to them. Instead, they rebelled against Him at the Red Sea. Even so, He saved them to defend the honor of His name and to demonstrate His mighty power. He commanded the Red Sea to divide, and a dry path appeared. He led Israel across the sea bottom that was as dry as a desert. So he rescued them from their enemies, and redeemed them from their foes. Then the water returned and covered their enemies. Not one of them survived. Then at last his people believed his promises. Then they finally sang his praise. Proverbs chapter 27, verses 4 through 6. Anger is cruel, and wrath is like a flood. But who can survive the destructiveness of jealousy? An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. <laughs> 